ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Good morning. Welcome to AM. It's Friday the 24th of November. I'm Sabra Lane, coming to you from Nipaluna, Hobart. Residents on Perth's northern outskirts have been told it could be days before huge bushfires brought under control. The Wanneroo fires destroyed at least 10 homes, along with farms and bushland, but it's still not clear yet just how much property is being lost. Fire crews have worked through the night and some people are staying in evacuation centres, hoping their homes will still be standing when they return. Isabel Masali prepared this report. It's not often firefighting aircraft fly over suburban Perth, but a record-breaking spring heatwave has brought what many feared. Authorities describe it as extreme fire behaviour, and Ryan Bullis says it's proving very challenging for crews. He's the district officer for the Department of Fire and Emergency Services, and he's been heading out with fire crews since Wednesday. There's a lot of ground out there that is very, very burnt. Uh, uh, ad hoc term we use is moonscaped because it's burnt with such an intensity and such a heat that it's left nothing behind. Uh, and the ground is just left white with ash, which is another indicator that's been very hot. So absolutely nothing left behind? Uh, in, in patches, uh, absolutely nothing left behind. And in other patches, it's almost like there was never a fire there. So very, very hit and miss, but that's typical of something that's wind-driven by swirling winds um, and pushing through different, different fuel loads in the landscape. When was the last time you saw a fire of that intensity? Uh, would probably be probably be the Wooroloo incident. That blaze in the Perth Hills in 2021 destroyed 86 homes. It's hoped the destruction from this blaze won't be as significant, but properties have been lost. The fireground covers a pine plantation, commercial and recreational farms, and homes in outer suburbs. It was a particularly uh, scary experience for quite a lot of residents that live in that sort of suburban four-bedroom, two-bathroom house on a 500-square-metre block lifestyle uh, that have maybe haven't had the exposure to rural life or fire before. Uh, I think they got uh, a little more than they wanted to deal with. Ryan Bullis says one of the top priorities today will be setting up containment lines. Away from the danger, residents have been gathering at an evacuation centre. Among the inflatable mattresses and kids' toys, there are maps of the fire's spread. Panicked evacuees, like Stacey, just want to know if their homes are still standing. With the winds changing, it's not in our favour. It will be blowing towards our house, so I, we don't know. We, we don't know. How did you feel being told that this might be days before it's over? Again, it's surreal. It's... Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, to be honest, I was half expecting it. But it's the unknown of not knowing what's going to happen, where we're going to be, where we're going to be staying, how long we're going to be staying away for. It's it's scary. Ryan is her eight-year-old son. I'd like to thank the firemen for saving other people and saving their houses. Did you see the firemen? Yeah, I saw the helicopters as well. And um, I saw the firemen, like, put the fire out. But for now, he says the evacuation centre is a pretty good place to be. Amazing. I never want to leave because I played so much games. If you're near the fire zone, tune in to your local ABC radio station and check the Emergency WA website for updates. Isabel Masali reporting. 
A four-day ceasefire in Gaza between Israel and Hamas is expected to begin later today as negotiators work out final details of a deal to release Israeli hostages in exchange for Palestinian prisoners. If it all goes according to plan, it will allow some Israelis captured during the October the 7th Hamas attack to be reunited with their families, while also paving the way for more aid deliveries for Palestinians in Gaza. For more, I was joined a short time ago by our correspondent, Adam Harvey, in Jerusalem. Adam, what do we know about the ceasefire? Sabra, that it will begin at 7am here in Israel, which is about 4pm in Sydney. It will trigger 200 aid trucks coming across the border from Egypt into Gaza, and the first 13 hostages will come out at 4pm under the terms of the deal. Israel says it has the names of the hostages and it has spoken to the family members of those hostages. It's asked the media not to reveal those names until they've come out. The terms of the ceasefire is that it'll go for four days and 50 hostages will come out in total, all of them women and children, mostly the the women will be the mothers of those children. And all of these details have come from Qatar, which has been critical to negotiating this deal. What about the chances of this deal being extended beyond four days? Israel says that the deal could be extended, that the, the ceasefire could go on for longer, but it set a very high bar of extending the ceasefire for one day for every 10 hostages that are freed. The nation's defence minister, Yoav Gallant, has said that this will be a short pause and the fighting will continue for another two months. Now, we know as well there's another element to this deal, and that's 150 Palestinians are supposed to come out and go go back home, mostly into the West Bank. A lot of them have been held by Israel for very minor offences, some for quite serious ones, but I, I noticed one of the women we spoke to, uh, her daughter was due to come out in a few months anyway. Now, Adam, this agreement has already been postponed once. Could that actually happen again? Absolutely. There's so much that can go wrong, Sabra. There's lots of minor details that are part of this arrangement, things like drones being paused over Gaza between the hours of 10 and 6, and presumably that's so that Israel doesn't see where the uh, hostages are coming from. Red Cross access to the remaining hostages, which was an issue early on and might have been one of the reasons why the deal fell over yesterday. Those 200 aid trucks coming in and the fact that North Gaza is full of Israeli troops and a significant number of Hamas fighters and there's the potential for any one of those people to derail this whole deal. Adam Harvey reporting there from Jerusalem. So how are those caught in the middle of the conflict reacting to the news of a ceasefire? There's anxiety on both sides. Those in Israel waiting for the possible return of loved ones held hostage and in Gaza, displaced Palestinians are asking, what comes next? Oliver Gordon reports. Gathered in a family home in Israel, nervous parents wait. The last Liora and Yaakov Agamani saw of their daughter Noah was in a video circulating on social media on October 7. The 26-year-old Israeli was at a music festival and she was captured by Hamas gunmen and driven away on a motorcycle heading into Gaza. Footage of the incident circulated around the world. Her mother, Liora. I want her to go home as fast as possible. 
I know she wants to go. I hope it can happen soon. We are waiting for her. Noah's father, Yaakov, says he'd be comfortable with captured children being released before his daughter. This is the order it should be. First of all, the children, and with God's help, Noah's turn will come and we will see her here and everything will be okay, with God's help. He's holding out hope she's doing okay. Noah is a strong girl, mentally strong. I believe she's handling herself there to the best of her ability. Over the border in Khan Yunus, Gaza, displaced Palestinian man Mohammed Makbil is sitting outside a crowded hospital. He's welcomed news of a reprieve, but he asks, what next? It is true that we are very happy that there is a truce and a ceasefire, that the blood of our Palestinian people will be spared. But the issue is that we, the residents of the north, were uprooted because of the bombardment and we won't be able to go back to our homes. It's a sentiment shared by Jihan Kanan. She says after weeks of bombardment, many Palestinians are now either dead or homeless. May God bring what is best and that is not just a truce but a ceasefire that lasts. May God bring calm between people, enough with the destruction of homes. People's homes collapsed on top of them, they were displaced and left in a panic. They lost their houses, their money, their property. They destroyed everything. Questions remain over which hostages will be released. Akiva Elder is a writer for Israeli newspaper Haaretz and says Israeli authorities are preparing for their release. They will need a lot of care, including to be very careful with uh, what they uh, eat after so many days that we don't know their whereabouts uh, and uh, the trauma that they've been through. Fighting is expected to stop in Gaza for the first time in almost seven weeks, later this afternoon. Oliver Gordon reporting there. One of Europe's best-known anti-Islam campaigners is celebrating following a surprise win in the Dutch general election. Hert Wilders, who was once banned from Britain, is hoping to form a coalition government, become the next Prime Minister of the Netherlands. He's campaigned in the past to ban mosques, the Koran and wearing of headscarves in public buildings. But as Nick Dole reports, he's promising to put some of his most controversial policies on ice. At his office in The Hague, Kurt Wilders supporters gather to toast their hero. Champagne and cake are passed around for a celebration that few were expecting. In the general election, Wilders' Freedom Party won 37 seats, more than any other. He's told supporters he's hopeful of governing. At the moment, we need to form a coalition, which I assume will happen, but we're not there yet, he says. So I won't say that I will be Prime Minister, but I would be very happy to be the Dutch Prime Minister. With his bouffant of white blonde hair, Kurt Wilders has a distinctive look and an abrasive style. Do I have a problem with Islam? Yes, I do have a problem with Islam. I think... It's a fascist ideology. He was banned from entering the UK in 2009 because the government found his views could jeopardise public safety. And he was convicted of insulting Moroccan people during the 2017 election campaign. The Moroccan scum in Holland, and once again, not all are scum, but there is a lot of Moroccan scum in Holland who makes the streets unsafe. But despite being condemned by the courts, he pushed on. He had been campaigning to outlaw mosques and the Koran and prohibit the wearing of headscarves in public places. 
Ahead of the election, he said he was putting some of those policies in the deep freeze as he tried to appeal to a broader cross-section of voters. But that's little comfort to Abbas Tahiri, a Muslim community worker in The Hague. He doesn't believe Wilders claim that he could be a Prime Minister for all Dutch people. And resign for all the It's difficult to separate that from all his previous statements, he says, like imposing headscarf tax and burning Korans and having less Moroccans and all the miserable things he said. He suddenly looks like someone else and I think we're embarrassed internationally. As a Dutch citizen, I'm ashamed of him. Hert Wilders says he wants to halt all asylum applications and he wants a referendum on leaving the European Union, even though he admits it wouldn't succeed. René Kuperus, a political analyst at the Klingendale Institute, says Wilders shouldn't necessarily see the election result as an endorsement of his policies. It's not an anti-Islam vote, it's not an anti-EU vote, no, it's more a middle finger against the establishment in The Hague to really uh, warn the established parties to fix the housing market crisis and to fix migration. Dutch voters will have to be patient. The negotiations to form a coalition government could take months. Nick Dole reporting there. There are fresh concerns about the way Telstra deals with some of its customers. The ABC can reveal the possible mistreatment of Indigenous customers is more widespread than first thought, with cases now being uncovered in Queensland. However, Telstra says more cases are expected because it's helping to fund financial counsellors who are in touch with customers. National Consumer Affairs reporter Michael Atkin explains. Financial counsellor Zach Wilde is grappling with the problem. Well, we found cases um, everywhere from Thursday Island down to Mackay. He works at the Indigenous Consumer Assistance Network in Cairns and in the past 12 months he's uncovered 41 cases of First Nations customers in Queensland being sold unsuitable products after a visit to a Telstra store, six of which occurred in 2020 or later. They've been given this hard sell and walked out with a number of devices, products and services that uh, they potentially didn't want, um, couldn't afford and perhaps couldn't use. It's had pretty considerable impact on people, both financially and emotionally. Telstra says it'll work with the Indigenous Consumer Assistance Network and is confident it can resolve any issues. The telco has already been prosecuted by the consumer watchdog, the ACCC, over the mistreatment of more than 100 Indigenous customers in Western Australia, the NT and South Australia, between 2016 and 2018. The phone and internet provider says since then it's put in place extensive changes, including changing credit assessments, removing excess data charges and no longer using third-party debt collectors. Claire Johnston is from Telstra. We no longer have direct individual sales targets for our people. We've also made significant changes to our back-end systems and processes where we monitor and measure our quality and compliance. But we've also brought back in all of our Telstra stores under Telstra ownership as well. Telstra also has a community outreach service known as the Pink Bus, which has seen 22,000 people, many in remote communities. We do have people approaching the bus as well uh, for credit um, or if they need help resolving any outstanding bills or if they do have a, um, an outstanding debt. We have a really firm process and we've identified a number of customers in those communities where we have remediated and provided compensation. But three financial counselling services have concerns about how Telstra is using the pink bus. 
Fiona Pettiford is based in East Arnhem Land for Anglicare NT. When they present to the pink bus, they get told their debt has been taken away and they get given a recharge. Now, that might be $50. She says people visiting the pink bus aren't always being offered a refund or compensation. Those people are supposed to get the full remediation. Also, many of those people may be due a refund with penalty interest. Telstra says some pink bus customers don't always feel comfortable sharing personal information, but its teams are working to repay people their full entitlements. It maintains staff on the pink bus are referring people to another team to have cases investigated. They take the information and we make a commitment to perform an investigation and then we make contact with the customer to discuss those things with them. In a statement, a spokesperson for the ACCC says it's continuing to monitor cases of misleading sales practices and that Telstra is also working through them. National Consumer Affairs reporter Michael Atkin. Sperm whales have the largest brains on earth and are the world's largest toothed predators, but they're also under threat. Now, the small island nation of Dominica in the Caribbean has announced a plan to intervene by establishing the world's first sperm whale sanctuary. Alexandra Humphreys filed this report. The unusual clicking sounds made by sperm whales are a constant in the ocean depths of Dominica. It's one of the few places in the world where they can be seen throughout the year. There are critical feeding and nursing grounds off the island's west coast. Dr Shane Gero is the founder of the Dominica Sperm Whale Project. They're some of the largest mammals that have ever lived on our planet. They're among the deepest and longest divers, diving past 600, 800, 1,000 metres in the total darkness in search for squid to eat. They actually dive deeper than modern nuclear attack submarines. And they do that by carrying the largest brain on the planet the largest brain that has ever existed. They're also endangered. Concerns about their future have sparked plans for a world-first sperm whale sanctuary on the western side of Dominica, approximately 900 square kilometres in size. Dr Gero explains the benefits. It creates an international standard shipping lane going in and out of the capital city of Roseau. And that spatially separates where the whales live and spend time and where the large ships go in and out of port. That reduces the risk of these whales getting hit by ships. Secondly, it separates uh, the large ships from the artisanal fishermen who work and live in Dominica. And that reduces the risk that sperm whales will be entangled. Enric Sala is the explorer in residence at National Geographic. The sperm whale numbers in Dominica have been declining steadily over the last 20 years because of a combination of human threats that affect whales not only here but elsewhere, like ship strikes, noise pollution, plastic waste and entanglement with fishing gear. But the reserve will provide a refuge for this population which is critically endangered and the benefits will be many. Establishing a reserve also acts as a strategy to mitigate climate change. Sperm whales help to enhance carbon sequestration. And the whale poop is full of nutrients from the deep, from the, those squid, full in iron and nitrogen that helps to fertilize the surface waters, which in turn creates blooms of plankton, these microscopic algae that live on the surface. And when the plankton dies, much of it sinks with the carbon in it to the deep sea. That's how whales help to sequester carbon. It's estimated that the 250 sperm whales in Dominica's waters could sequester about 4,200 tonnes of carbon annually. Alexandra Humphreys there.
That's AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Sabra Lane. Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, host of the ABC News Daily Podcast. A deal's been done to pause the fighting in the Israel-Gaza war and release hostages and prisoners. Today, an expert on ceasefires, Dr Marika Sosnowski from Melbourne University, on the complexities of the negotiations and what to expect next. Look for the ABC News Daily Podcast on the ABC Listen app.